it's also f- like centered in a time that is an American mythos time. World War II is just one of those kind of iconic events of the last 100 years. Welcome back, everybody, to an exciting day on No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Welcome back, everybody. We are here at the end, the end of just our themed month, not the season, but of our themed month this year. That is right. We've had a great themed month. Those of you who are part of the No Script community or have been for at least several seasons know that themed month is something that we do every season. It's time for us to spend about four episodes in conversation about plays, musicals that have something in common. Usually we try to do a huge variety of scripts, and then during our theme month we try to do a series of scripts that share some element that allow for that kind of conversation, the intra-script conversations. And so this year uh, we've been enjoying Mistletoe Month for holiday plays, plays that either take place at or contain a kind of central element that is in reference to the holiday season. Uh, Very appropriate as the holiday season is very much like right now kicking off. There's always that like debate, like how soon after Thanksgiving (laughs) do the Christmas decorations go up? We're in that period now. Yeah, honestly, I've been a little, a little uh, uh, nervous as I've been doing this this uh, mistletoe month because I'm a, a hardline post Thanksgiving uh, set up the decorations. Don't listen to Christmas music p- prior to Thanksgiving, so I've been breaking my rules this this themed month, and I'm excited though to be talking about this particular play today in the scope of proper Christmas tide post Thanksgiving because this is. A musical that I've watched the movie version of. I was as I was prepping for this, I was like, I think I've probably spent thirty plus years <laughs> listening to the music of this musical. I don't know if there's been like one Christmas where I haven't listened slash heard the movie White Christmas playing at some point during the season. And today, that is what we are talking about. We are talking about Irving Berlin's White Christmas with book by David Ives and Paul Blake. That's right. So if you've seen the White Christmas movie, I think lots of people have. It is uh, a holiday beloved classic about 25 years ago. And I didn't realize that it took so long for that to happen. It was adapted into a stage musical, which is a huge spectacle of music and incredible dance and incredible costumes and snow and just a, a rollicking extravagant of a holiday show and you know it it was we're looking at like what what script is going to end 
mistletoe month. What is the holiday play? It could only be White Christmas, which contains, as Jackson said, music that you are used to playing in the background, maybe not in your home if you're not a Christmas celebrating person, but certainly at the store on the radio, the music of this musical is the soundtrack of the holiday season in so many ways. It's true. It's true. Lots of lots of uh, directly Christmassy songs, but then lots of the kind of showbiz songs that are in the play that have sort of become associated by <laughs> with Christmas by virtue of it being in the movie and and uh, and so so yeah, I'm excited to get to have the chance to turn to it as we wrap up this month and uh, get to talk about it a little bit as we as we do so. That's right. We are excited also because this is our last uh, chance to shout out Magic Mind, who has been a partner with us on this themed month, and we will be able to give them their full kudos here for that in just a little bit. Wanted to give you a heads up that we are being able to share a discount code with you, so you may want to just be uh, thinking forward to grabbing that discount code when that time comes around if Magic Mind sounds like something that you would like. And as we often slash always do, um, I wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons who have made this this season possible as well. The uh, patrons at uh, patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for being patrons of the show. If you're looking for a way to uh, help out the show, become a little bit more involved in what's going on with, with NoScript and things like that, Patreon is a great way to do that. Uh, over there, you'll find a number of different tiers of membership, the lowest one being just $1, uh, $12 over the course of the year. And uh, th- we love getting to do the show. We love getting to have these conversations and the patrons make things like themed month and special guest episodes happen over the course of the season. So thank you all so much. We'll see you at patreon.com slash no script podcast. All right, we are diving into our context and synopsis section here. As you, If you've been following along in our themed month, you know that we're kind of doing abbreviated versions of these sections just because themed month always has just so much to cover, so we want to make sure that we give time to that. So although Irving Berlin is new to the podcast, I won't be giving you kind of a full Irving Berlin life story or anything <laughs> like that. Um, what I will say about Irving Berlin is that you know Irving Berlin music. You do. You may not know that you do, but there's a great quote about the significance of Irving Berlin in the American songbook, right? Quote, unquote. And the quote, I'm afraid I've forgotten where I found it, so I I can't appropriately cite it. But the quote is something to the effect of like, Irving Berlin didn't contribute to the American songbook. Irving Berlin is the American songbook. And that Mm, that is just so true when you look back on his resume, the the stuff that he has put out, it is the stuff of uh, just the songs that we know from life. Um, of course, he he was a musical and film composer as well as a, a songwriter. So he wrote the Zegfeld Follies. He wrote, of course, White Christmas. He wrote Andy Get Your Gun. So uh, can contributions to the stage as well. But also songs like Blue Skies, songs like Putting on the Ritz, songs like I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. Songs like White Christmas, 
and uh, the the Irving Berlin song that you almost for sure know, at least if you are located in America. I know we have some listeners from outside of the country, but uh, Americans at least will 100% know, of course, God Bless America, which whether you know it or not, that's Irving Berlin, uh, for which he won a congressional gold medal from Dwight Eisenhower in 1954 for contributing that song to America. Um, I will also say about that song, I, 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 this is what I have read. I have not been able to um, really dive down the rabbit hole and confirm every aspect of this, but this is what I believe, that the proceeds, any you know royalties that come from God Bless America, do not go to the estate of Irving Berlin. In fact, he has sort of signed that over so that all the monies that are made from how popular God Bless America is actually go to the boys and Girl Scouts of America, um, which is just a really cool thing because that song is, I mean, in the top five most famous songs in America, it's probably. <laughs> I mean, yep. It's called the second national anthem. So that Yum. should tell you a little bit about its popularity. So uh, White Christmas is a movie musical, a Hollywood musical that Irving Berlin wrote in 1954, wrote the music and lyrics for. Um, it was a really big deal back then. Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, Vera Ellen, um, um, and at the time, it set a record as Hollywood's all-time highest-grossing musical. Um, a record that is, if you can believe it, I was hoping for like a really fun story about who now holds that record. Unfortunately, it is the 2019 live-action remake of The Lion King, which is just not <laughs> what you hoped it was going to be, is it? Like that's just not not what you wanted when you were like, oh, it's the record's been broken, and of course the record's been broken many times. But sure, that's sure. who holds the record right now. Not great. Not great for Hollywood. I'm going to say that. Uh, a stage adaption uh, first made its appearance in uh, the year 2000, so f- 45 years later, basically. And it's a posthumous uh, production because at that time, Irving Berlin had already passed away. Um, that premiered in St. Louis, and then it was in San Francisco, and then it was like all over the world. It was sort of immediately a wildfire kind of musical for its cheery, fun its famous music. Um, It actually did a UK tour before finally coming to Broadway in 2008. Uh, I saw the, I think it was the 2019 Broadway revival tour came through where I lived in Arkansas and we went and saw it. It was amazing. They had these sort of effect machines all throughout the house that pumped snow in at the end. Uh, It was like a a soap substance that cleaned really easily. And and so at the end when they sang what's now, it's a white Christmas. There's snow falling in the audience. Very cool. Very spectacle heavy. I did something for uh, Best Christmas Pageant Ever that I just thought was interesting that I wanted to repeat here for White Christmas. So according to the Concord Theatricals website, here are, I'm not going to be able to get through all the pages, (laughs) the current productions this season of White Christmas. There is one at Seven Mary 34 Productions in Florida, Academy of St. Elizabeth in New Jersey, Act One Inc. in Georgia, Actors Repertory Theater of Siamese in California, Algonquin Arts in New Jersey, Al 
Collins Community Theater in Texas, Arizona Broadway Theater in Arizona, Artist Connection Theater in Florida, Barn Players in Montana, Bellevue Little Theater in Nebraska, Big Opportunities in Montana, Bishop Carroll High School in Pennsylvania, Blackfoot Community Players in Idaho, Bluefield College in West Virginia, Branson Hillside Theater in Missouri, Branson Regional Arts Council in Missouri, Bucks County Playhouse in Pennsylvania, California <laughs> Center of the Arts in California, Cedar Street Theater in California, Center for the Arts in Virginia, Center Stage uh, Zao Theater in Arizona, Center Stage Simaru in Newport, Cherokee County Arts Association in Kansas, and I'm not through the seas. Again, just like with Best Christmas Pageant Ever, I did not make it to the end of the seas in the time allotted. That is how many companies are producing White Christmas this year. In some ways, it's the new cash cow, I think, like Christmas Carol forever Dickens was and still sure. is, and that's kind of the the like stereotype of what you do at Christmas. But I do think that uh, if you can afford to produce White Christmas, I'm sure the royalties are insane and the production budget has to be insane because it's it's truly a spectacle musical. Um, yeah. If you can afford it, I'm sure it is a major moneymaker every year because, boy, people love it. Yeah, people come out for it for sure. Familiar melodies, great characters, all that business. Um, I'm going to synopsize the play real quick. Again, we're doing abbreviated versions. I'll probably do an even more abbreviated version because I'm just it's it's a, it's just so ironic for me to try to synopsize something that I've seen 30 times. <laughs> like, so, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go anyway. So uh, so we're going to jump into the conversation around that in a moment. But first, I'll give you just a brief synopsis. So we're starting off on the right foot. Uh, white. Christmas focuses on uh, Bob and Phil, Bob Wallace and Phil Davis. Uh, they are two kind of comedian songsters um, who meet during World War II. They, um, they, the the play opens with a, a number from them. They're all uh, uh, doing a White Christmas number for the troops over in Germany. And uh, uh, during the course of that, uh, General Tom Waverly arrives and kind of surprises the whole unit and says that uh, uh, think thinks or the, the the cast and crew think that he's kind of catching them in do doing something that is out of line. But in fact, he celebrates uh, Christmas with them and also lets them know that he's retiring or being kind of pulled back from the lines. And uh, the the new general's taken over, and so he he says adieu, see you over stateside or wherever. Good luck. Um, have victory. Um, then we uh, cut pretty quickly out of that into the Ed Sullivan show in the, in the production uh, where uh, Bob and Phil have a pretty successful number that they've uh, managed to uh, put together post the war. Bob, of course, was a showman before. Phil was a dancer and singer. Um, and so he kind of jumps on Bob's wagon and uh, off they go together uh, to, to kind of do these shows post the war. Um, after the Ed Sullivan show, they're kind of talking about what's coming up next for them. They're bringing their show down to, to Miami, and they're starting to get pretty famous. They're probably going to bring the show back to the Ed Sullivan show at some point once they have a dry run in Miami. Um, but they're going to go see uh, a number this evening. They're going to go see uh, Betty and Judy Haynes, who uh, they got a letter from a friend of theirs from the Army that said, go check out the act if you're looking for an opening act. And so... Um, they do. Um, uh, all amidst uh, Phil kind of uh, pushing Bob's buttons about hoping that he finds a family someday, trying to set him up with various people, and Bob kind of uh, resists with the uh, the song uh, Love and the Weather, which actually ends up being a duet between Bob and Betty, because Judy is doing a very similar thing with her sister Betty, trying to set her up with people as well, and so, um, but eventually the, uh, uh, Bob and Phil go to the show, they see the sisters sing, um, and, uh, they, uh, start to, uh, 
uh, or really Phil starts to try to set the all of them up. Um, Phil uh, uh, takes a liking to Judy, and Judy takes a liking to Phil. Um, Bob and Betty are a little bit slower. They uh, they are somewhat resistant to each other. It comes out that it was, in fact, Judy that sent the letter, um, relying on her relationship with their brother and, and uh, Bob and Phil. And so um, Bob uh, says the, the famous line about angles and Judy working an angle, which sets Betty off. And so they uh, kind of have a cantankerous relationship to start with. But Judy and Phil hatch a plan, though uh, Judy and Betty are heading up to Vermont to do a Christmas engagement there. Phil says, well, I'll try to, like, uh, um, trick Bob into going up to, to Vermont instead of Miami. And so Phil goes about the work of... Uh, booking different tickets, getting them on the same train, and eventually they uh, do wind up on the same train up to Vermont. Um, uh, Bob figures this out slowly, but eventually he figures it out fully, and uh, they sing the famous snow song as they start to head north to Vermont. When they arrive at the inn, there is no snow in Vermont, and uh, <laughs> which is a catastrophe for the inn, and... Um, the, uh, the the manager of the place says that they're not going to be able to use the Sisters Act, but uh, lo and behold, General Tom Waverly shows up and uh, is, in fact, the owner of this inn, much to the surprise of everyone. Um, he's not only the owner, but he's uh, having a hard time being the owner. It's it's a rough business. He's also been he's also put in for a, a chance to be uh, reassigned to somewhere in the army. Um, but alas, he gets a letter right away that says, "I'm not going to be able to reassign you. You're t essentially you're too old, and so you're the 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 stakes are that he's kind of stuck here in this um, this inn that he's trying to manage." That uh, sets Bob especially, but both Bob and Phil off on a mission to try to save the inn to some degree. They decide to bring their show up in addition to the Haynes sisters. Um, and they also hatch a plan to try to get the whole division, I think it's the 151st division, to show up over Christmas. There's some uh, miscommunications in there. Uh, there's communication that is sent to the uh, manager, Martha, who's a delightful character, who kind of listens in on phone lines and things like that. Um... And uh, she uh, gets the word that uh, what she thinks is happening is that Bob is going to try to take over the inn, buy the inn out from uh, 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 the general. And uh, and so she passes that along to Betty, who thinks that it's one of Bob's angles. And so she starts to get mad at him and she shares this information with Judy. And Judy gets mad at Phil because Phil, once all the like show people come up, has a couple crushes in the show. Um so there's this moment where everyone's mad at each other. Betty leaves to go to a gig back in New York. Bob follows her, tries to explain some of that, actually tries to connect her with the Ed Sullivan show, says goodbye. I suppose this didn't work out. They've started to grow a little bit more affectionate, and so it hurts when this betrayal comes. Um, but uh, eventually uh, uh, he goes back. The whole division is showing up for Christmas, um, and uh, um, Betty Betty actually returns as well, seeing that she maybe um, misheard <laughs> some of uh, the intent of what was going on on with with the musical and to just sum up very quickly a rather uh extensive climax and denouement everything goes to plan <laughs> the show which only had five days to go up does uh manage to go up and uh ever the whole 151st shows up 
uh, to surprise the general who is kind of forced into wearing his uniform by virtue of Martha washing every other piece of clothing, clothing that he knows. Everyone is surprised. He says that he's grateful to be an innkeeper and that he's going to continue to be so, even though he now has an option uh, of a post. Um, he decides to stay with the inn and and uh, is grateful for the, uh, the experience that he has there. And of course, the White Christmas song is sung towards the end. Um, and as uh, Phil and Judy reunite and uh, Bob and Betty reunite and uh, Neat Bow is tied on the whole thing um, and uh, Christmas is uh, met with snowfall which uh, has broken through the uh, warm season um, that kind of set the uh, in in its uh, tenuous station to begin with. That's kind of the scope of White Christmas for you. Yeah, before we dive in any further into White Christmas, we do want to say a big thank you to the folks over at Magic Mind for their partnership with us on this season. You know, we do a lot, Jackson and I do. We spend a lot of our energy doing a lot of different projects. It's the kind of people we are. We stay busy. We have a lot in front of us. We like to conquer new challenges, but that takes a lot of energy, and it can be hard to find that balance. You try coffee, you try energy drinks, you try the stuff to keep keep you rolling, then you feel amped and jittery. So Magic Mind is a great little companion to your regular caffeine intake because of what it can do to balance you out, to keep things a little bit more even, to help solve the jitters. Um, it's a, sort of a little shot, a little bottle shot that you take cold alongside, uh, you know, like I drink it with my hot cup of coffee. Really nice partner to that. Helps the coffee, helps the energy to last longer throughout the day. Of course, there's all natural ingredients from the best suppliers in the world. No sugar, nut-free, vegan, keto, paleo-friendly. Um, a lot of different kinds of mushrooms in there as you go through the materials. Think uh, mushroom lovers out there definitely want to check out Magic Mind. Uh, we are uh, really excited to be able to offer the folks listening to this podcast a special discount code that you can use to access Magic Mind for yourself. Um, you're, to access that, you're going to go to Magic magicmind.com slash no script. Again, that's magicmind.com slash N-O-S-C-R-I-P-T, no hyphens, no underscores, magicmind.com slash no script. There you can use our discount code to get more than 50% off a subscription or a nice sizable discount for a one-time purchase. I think it's 25 or 20% off for just the one-time purchase. So either way, you're getting a nice discount on trying Magic Mind. That discount code is no script 20 N-O-S-C-R-I-P-T. C-R-I-P-T-20, no hyphens, no underscores, no spaces, no script, 20. You'll just pop that in, get your discount, and Magic Mind's great with refunds if it's not going to work for you. Um, so it, it's just a nice product, something that really works in the kind of busy everyday life that Jackson and I have going. And for the coffee lovers out there, I, I hope that you're comforted to know that we did not get in bed with a coffee substitute. It's just <laughs> not, it's not on our radar to do that. We're not that kind of people. So we went with a coffee companion. And I got to tell you, <laughs> it's better. It's better that way. Yeah, definitely give it a check out. Check out the, 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 the site and the code. Take advantage of it while you can. Now, back to the script. Yes, back to the script. We are, um, it, it's almost hard to, White Christmas is so ubiquitous that it's a little bit hard to know 
what to even talk about with a show yeah. like this because it is so zeitgeisty that it, it it like everything about it is now something else it's yeah. it's just it's one of those shows where all of the aspects of what makes white christmas white christmas have been taken in parts or in whole and repackaged and commented on and restaged in a different way and all kinds of things in other contexts so you see the sisters song right the famous sisters sisters little act that they do with the feathers and that now has its own like commercial like there's a commercial right right now that uses that song as the sort of premise music you're we're about to hit the season where white christmas plays a hundred million times a day or some crazy number it's like this is one of the core texts of America. Is that is that is that too much? Is that too strong <laughs> that Irving Berlin's White Christmas is one of the core like mythos of America? I think I agree with that. And that's certainly like so so yes, definitely. It's kind of worked its way into so many things because it's so nostalgic because it was a film back when film played on TV and everyone watched TV at the same time with all their neighbors. This thing was this thing was, yeah, it's a cultural zeitgeist. It's a it's a, a tradition in a very different way than some of the ways we engage entertainment right now as a tradition. So it definitely has worked its way in. It also has the virtue of these songs, this type of musical, um, uh, back back, uh, kind of when it came out originally, and then even uh, its its uh, stage version, which we're talking about today, this sort of like musical review where it takes a uh, a uh, artist's music and sets it in a story um, allows the opportunity to um for it to crop up in other places so there's actually plenty of other movies around the same time as white christmas that came out that have white christmas in the movie and ben crosby's singing white christmas in that other movie so there's there's all sorts of reasons why this music this musical these characters this plot has this sort of like ingrained in our brain association <laughs> with December um, and, and all sorts of ways that it, that it uh, sort of like triggers those things and, and uh, brings up memories of, of the season just with the music. Yeah. I, I mean, there, depending on your age, you may or may not like have an immediate association with the name Bing Crosby. But in the, in the exact same, I mean, this is a this is a direct one for one comparison. In the exact same way that Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You" is like <laughs> everywhere all the time, Bing Crosby singing "White Christmas" is was that way, and then still is. And in some ways, the name Mariah Carey like has become the new like Christmas song. Yeah. Name, mm -hmm. But it was Bing Crosby. Before it was Mariah Carey, it was Bing Crosby because of White Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and and, and honestly, the, the, like Rosemary Clooney as well, also iconic uh, uh, for for her uh, Christmas music and music in general. So yeah, actually, so yeah, it's it's definitely a musical that has this sort of like archetypal characters of of kind of uh yeah american mythos um that that has worked as well it's also f like centered in a time that is an american mythos time world war ii is just one of those kind of iconic events of the last 100 years that uh, so many people uh, uh have made films about so many people have told stories about 
And it's a time that Americans feel particularly good about. Like, I think that yeah. even, even like incredible, like even the folks on the end, on the end of the spectrum that are like very, very, um, maybe not pro like war, but like, you know, on the end of the spectrum where Americans military interventions in the world are much more justified than there's people at the way other end of the spectrum. Right. But even people on that far end of the spectrum, uh, understand that like some of America's military endeavors are more complicated than others. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but the world war two is one that while like, of course, if you study history and you spend time with it, it is very complicated. It doesn't feel very complicated. Right. right? Like there was these terrible evil people, the big baddies, the Nazis, right. and yep. they were just, they were going to conquer the world and they were killing a bunch of people and America, America, the hero, <laughs> stepped yep. in and gave old Hitler a punch on the jaw, right? That old famous Captain America comic. So there, yeah. there is something about the post-World War II period that feels like the most heroic for America. The moment where we saved the world. Again, I understand, please don't comment, I understand that's not really exactly true. I'm just saying that that's the mythos of yeah. World War II, that, that America saved the world. Yeah, that myth is is a super accessible one. It's one that I agree a wider swath of people resonate at least partially with, like can see that narrative and be like, yeah, I can get on board at least to watch this story. And I think maybe that's an interesting way to zoom in on this, something that uh, I don't know I've had that many conversations about, but I think the the story of Tom Waverly in this musical and in the movie and, and, and just in the way this engages it actually does a really interesting job of zooming in on the mythos of that a little bit. Because you have the mythos of, 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 of that, what we've just said already, and then you focus on Tom Waverly, who like left the army and just got forgotten, um, kind of uh, was dropped by various people. He reaches out to people in the army and tries to get help, um, tries to find a new posting. He's bought this in. He's put everything into it. He can't figure out how to um, uh, function outside of the army, and the army isn't taking him back. So, so you have this story of him as he's trying to navigate it after being abandoned, and then you have um, these two uh, people who uh, who he affected in a really real way in the army. You have uh, Bob and uh, Bob and Phil who show up and are like, "Oh, oh, you're not doing well. Let's find a way to help." Um, and I think that that sort of core problem, in amidst all the shenanigans and all the good music and things like that, is a really interesting sort of like core of this musical is Bob and Phil's attempt to help out their old general who has, uh, even though he's asked for help, which is a difficult thing for him to do, has not gotten help from all the people that were that should have kind of reached out and supported him in that. There's just a great song. Truly, it's probably one of my favorite songs in White Christmas, which maybe is a strange thing to say given all the famous songs. But what can you do with a general? Yeah. I just like love it for its sort of silly presentation of a real problem, which is like what do people do when they come back from war? And the premise of the song is like if you were a regular soldier or or any of the other roles besides the general, you got all this technical skill that then you brought back into the workforce. But generals have what? The skill of leading men into combat. Right. And what do you do with that when you come back from war? 
there's nobody to lead into combat anymore. So what what do you what can you do with a general? What can you do with the uh, that that all of that that is inside of you, but is not necessarily marketable skills? And then out of that comes this scheme to save their general from sort of financial ruin. Yes, the inn is about to go under. The bank's going to take it. There's the same thing you see in all of these kinds of shows where the stack of bills with the big red unpaid stamp on them is the haunting thing. Yeah, the the big scary bad guy is the bank, right? That's the premise, basically. And, and, And out of that, you get this scheme to save the guy that that mustered them together that was their sort of grumpy but uh endearing mascot <laughs> while yep. they were over there and i th- there's a great article i just found it through the concord website so again not not really like deep dives or anything but it was written by David Ives in 2020. It's, that would be sort of on the back end of the the most recent American revival of White Christmas on tour. And and again, David Ives wrote the book. And of course, we when we did our last David Ives play by itself on the podcast, we talked about David Ives contributing to White Christmas. David Ives, credible playwright in and of himself. And he talked about in 2000, 2004, in that time period when they were working different workshops and writings of the, their attempts to stage the musical, problems that they were having staging it because 45, 50 years later, musicals had changed so much. American entertainment had changed so much. And basically what David Ives says is like, we we were trying to enforce like contemporary American musical acting and thinking and storytelling, which is a little bit... Um, not sarcastic's not the right word, but it's a little bit ironic. It's a yeah. little bit bitter. It's irreverent. a little bit irreverent, right? And he said, when the director—I'm so sorry—the name I cannot quite remember. Uh, Walter uh, Bobby, thank you, goodness, I found it. Walter Bobby, who directed the original um, stage uh, production, um, he gave the cast some uh, some direction, and the direction is basically: you have to forget everything you think about American storytelling and acting and musicals and go back to a time where, like, earnest desire to help someone else, where responsibility for someone who's not you is still a primary motivating factor. And so the the article David Ives write is is really nice. It's a, a nice sort of long story of discovering that. And this is what he says kind of in the middle of it. Uh, Just quoting him. You see, despite its apparent innocence, White Christmas is a show that's actually about something. Call it community. Call it the ties that bind. In the army, in show business, in running an inn together, in friendship, in sisterhood, in the spirit of Christmas, the characters of White Christmas realize their responsibility and connections to everyone around them. Later, he says, in short, the show can't be played as a musical of today. To work, it has to remain true both outwardly and inwardly to the era on the the movie it's based on was written in. That's one of the reasons people want to see White Christmas, because they want to inhabit that more innocent world of 1954 for a couple of hours, a world of uncomplicated friendships and simple, open feelings. It's a world of everyone's inner Christmas— Simplicity, generosity, decency. 
That's what he says about Ray Christmas. It's a very nice article and actually good advice sort of all around for actors. Simplicity, generosity, decency. And the longer article, the parts that didn't quote from, he talks about like acting for the sake of someone else, which is actually still how we try to teach young actors to act, to put their energy on their partner, to to work for the sake of the people that they're in the scene with. And, and Ives talks about how important that is to White Christmas. And I really liked that as a peek behind like where the heart of White Christmas is. Like the story is somewhat silly and goofy, of course, but the, there's something to me in White Christmas that feels powerful beyond just the nostalgia. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, th- I think you see that that quote is that quote is a great. I agree, a great way to just be on stage. Um, but you you, you definitely see that that that. Uh, issue is being talked about again again amidst all the happy fun stuff but um with uh bob and betty i think there's a lot of that interaction a lot of that is at play the uh, the the question mark of is there are you actually being kind (laughs) are you actually being altruistic are you actually you get a little bit uh, probably a little bit more even um, than than the movie did, I think, in the musical, kind of asked that question very directly with Betty's interaction with Bob, um, and vice versa. You have this question of is there an angle at play? Um, you have Betty kind of uh, right away seeing or believing um, that that Bob is uh, uh, trying to take over the inn, um, and and eventually uh, like uh, being being shown that no, this is actually this is actually a, a good deed that they're trying to do. Um, so, so yeah, you have that question asked throughout the, the play and, and the kind of wondering as to whether, whether something, uh, there's another shoe to drop, um, uh, is, 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 is a question that the characters are asking. I think I agree though, that the musical, at least all the behind the curtain stuff that we see keeps us in the zone of like, no, this is, this is a different time for these characters. There isn't going to be a moment where Bob suddenly says, yes, I'm the big business person and I take over the inn. We trust, we trust a lot of these characters, even as, even as they don't trust each other. No, I, I definitely agree. Uh, to turn our attention, Jackson, for just a little bit and talk about the sort of broader mistletoe month, I think it's interesting. We've commented on this only only uh, uh, sort of surface level, but uh, at least three of our four mistletoe month uh, uh, scripts are like the play that goes wrong style scripts, right? Now I know that's a very specific reference, but what I mean is like the the doing of a Christmas uh, a production, a show, piece of entertainment is the sort of center story of Inspecting Carol, the best Christmas pageant ever, and White Christmas. Yeah, there was a there was a, a line of that you said maybe like ten minutes ago that was like they have to throw together this musical really quick, otherwise the big bank is gonna come in and take everything from them. It was like that's a synopsis for inspecting Carol too. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, there there is that kind of synergy uh, in in our mistletoe month, and I think in Christmas plays in general, Christmas entertainment perhaps in general of a little bit of the microscope on the entertainment industry. Um, part of that is the people writing them are obviously a part of the entertainment industry, so so there's some insight there. Um, but also this sort of like, 
I think there is something to do with um, the fact that we are kind of gathering together to hear a story um, has this sort of storyteller as the center character. Um, uh, there, there's there's something resonant about that, um, and and the uh, the people that are involved in kind of creating these moments around Christmas are uh, are within within the context of the story we're engaging are are people who are behind the curtain the people who uh get the get, get the sort of finished product out to people to enjoy in the christmas season yeah and and also like we i think we we the general sort of societal we uh want to believe that all of the entertainment products and art products that come out in the holidays have a bigger meaning. Like mm-hmm. I think I'm sort of speaking without thinking very much about this, but there's there, there's so much stuff put out in the holiday season. So many movies, so many songs, so many plays, so many books so much your church if you go to church is doing a thousand things like there's just so much stuff that happens in the holidays and i think we there's a part of us again this sort of large us that understands that there's a lot of that that is just about money that like we, yeah. They know that they can sell another Christmas song, right? Mariah Carey can sing another Christmas song, and it's going to go bonanzas. And so that we, I think there's like inside us, we're just like conscious and skeptical of like, ah, I love the holiday season. This is at least how I feel. And, but I also know that like every trailer for like the next holiday movie is just a cash cow attempt. Uh, and so there stories about producing stuff at the holiday time where the motive behind it may, you know, it's financial. All these people are trying to save themselves from ruin, but there's like a, a positive spin on that, right? Yeah. There's like a save the Vermont in save the little regional professional theater. Oh, the church has to make this work or else it's going to be, you know, it's going to show off the internal moral failings of the of the herdmen's not being accepted at church. Like when when we we like stories about producing stuff in the holiday season where the motivation is something we can get behind because the motivation of producing stuff in the holiday season is so questionable. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you want kind of the acknowledgement that there is something something important behind it. Um you all, I think also the the uh the uh verisimilitude of it is is also um a, a breath of fresh air amidst amidst uh, a, a lot of this sort of entertainment packaged stuff. You know, you engage in these stirring movies or stirring songs or things like that. Um, and are experiencing the emotion, at least partially, that they're trying to generate, even amidst you having this sort of like background noise of like, this is consumerist, and there's all sorts of things going on. So I think theater, especially now, um, uh, has has the ability to kind of give you a little bit of the, don't worry, we know that there's that there's more going on behind this. Here's what is going on behind this. Let's 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 feel seen for for the sake of our little cloud that's behind us going like this is all consumerist, isn't it? Um let's let's see that and then also say but also 
behind this final product that you see, there are all these people that care a ton about what they're producing um, and what they're working on, the story that they're telling, the, the people, the interactions, that the, 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 the children that they're bringing into the, the kids' plays, the, uh, the, 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 um, the inn that they help out because the show is there. Um, all of these people, though that there, it is a final fin polished product, and it is at least partially to do with the consumer society that we're in, but the people behind it care deeply about something. And when you remember that by engaging some piece of art that reminds you of that, then you have the opportunity at least to go to the next interaction that you have with a consumer's Christmas item, whatever it is, song, movie, etc., etc., and and remember that. Remember that behind every, you know, you know, <laughs> smash hit Christmas song, there's probably somewhere around 50 to 100 people who had their hands in that in that uh, in that final song um, uh, that that care a lot about the work that they do care enough to continue to put out this sort of stuff. So it's the opportunity to remember to feel seen and known for what for what you are experiencing in Christmas season. But also remember that uh, behind the curtain of every um, uh, Christmas moment, there are lots of people at work who 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 push for what for what they believe in and what they're trying to share with people. I think the the other through line, there's probably more, but the other major through line that we've seen is this story of like the holiday miracle. Yeah. Right? And in inspecting Carol, it's the fact that the NEA agent likes the terrible play. In the best Christmas pageant ever, it's the fact that something about involving the Herdmans in the nativity story makes it better, more accurate, more touching. In uh, the, in the last five years, right, it's the story of Shmuel and the, the magical transformation with the clock that allows him not to waste his life and the story that that teaches for Jamie and Catherine. And then in White Christmas, what I love about White Christmas is that the, the plot itself resolves, I think, without much of a Christmas miracle. There is the, the the plot resolves because of the choices people make. Now, again, I do think that that David Ives note is important here because the choices people make don't seem like, uh, you know, to us right now, they maybe feel a little bit like, you know, they're maybe not self-interested enough. They're, they're not. <laughs> it's a little altruistic. It's a little. Uh, nah, nah. Uh, but the David Ives note, I think, is a good one, which is to say this is a story from a time in which responsibility for other people was still a primary motive motivating factor. And so if you take that into account, the choices that people make are what execute the story of White Christmas with no real miracle until they pay off the desire for a Christmas miracle. And that's one of the things that's so great about White Christmas. You see the story play out based on real people's choices and then you get your miracle. And it's it's beautiful. This finally snows. And it's, it's such a great marrying of giving you what you want, the miracle, the thing that happens that's unexpected and unexplainable and delightful, while also not robbing you of like a real story safe from any uh, deus ex machina. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's much less Deus Ex Machina and much more just like cherry on top, basically. Um, you get you get uh, you get the 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 full scope of the characters turning things around. You get uh, the general saying that even because there is there are stakes involved in the snow. Just to be clear, for those who live in Vermont and live in the northern places, there's stakes in the snow. People come and ski throughout the year. There's there's still stakes if snow doesn't show up. So so yeah, there there is the knowledge that even though this one event has gone well and everyone is is kind of reunited as, as a result of their choices and what they've done. There is the still real world of, if we don't have snow, we can't have the inn. And so to have the cherry on top of, yes, we went through all this dramatic action and complicating action and all the things, and it all paid off really well, um, but then also snow came. Um, and and all of all, all of that is both beautiful and resolved well um, uh, for, for, for uh, all the characters. And also, I don't know, I, I mean... I've had a, a number of Christmases without snow. So there is like just a significant <laughs> like uh, current <laughs> uh, a miracle feeling in snow arriving at Christmas. Uh, and it's just sort of the thing, at least again, kind of Northern hemisphere people. Um, but it's so firmly attached to a Northern hemisphere uh, Christmas in America that, that its arrival at the end is this sort of like Christmas miracle. Well, I mean, I lived in Arkansas for many years where like, the idea of having like a white Christmas snow on Christmas was it maybe happened once or twice in all of my years in Arkansas. Yeah, There's yeah. actually snow on the ground on Christmas Day. It's just that, that that's not what the weather allowed for. So it, it, there is a it's interesting that that picture it ha holds so much nostalgic weight because for so much of this country and then you even think more broadly about the whole globe like snow on december 25th is not a given yeah but there's like these this little pocket this little band around <laughs> of, of what is it latitude or longitude uh, north and south around the globe yeah, this little yeah. band where snow on december 25th is supposed to be a given and so when it's not it feels like a, a tragedy and then for the right. rest of the globe it's like that's just every that's christmas <laughs> yeah. but that that nostalgic picture holds uh, some of it is the song actually probably i'm dreaming yeah. of a white christmas and and then there's just this picture of what Christmas is, the lights and the falling snow and you see your breath and the, the pine tree dusted with white. Right, sleighs and things like that. So so this this musical absolutely kind of deals in all of that sort of nostalgia and also the nostalgia of the different time that it's in, the music that has worked its way into all of our systems. And we're excited to have had the chance to chat about it. We are coming down to the end of our time here, uh, both on this particular play, but also for this themed month, Mistletoe Month, in season eleven of No Script. That is right. It's been it's been a great themed month. Really fun to talk about holiday plays because of the significance that they hold in our culture and the power that they have. I mean, all four of these plays, maybe the last five years of hair aside, but all four of these plays really <laughs> have, uh, they just have such prominence in large part, again, last five years aside, because of their place in the holiday show lexicon. So uh, congrats to all those shows for cementing their place on the stage for the stories that they tell and it's been fun to compare those stories to look at the what the holiday season is and what it brings um, we'll be back next week with our back to our varied and and different kinds of programming no more holiday shows for a while um 
we also have upcoming on the podcast. We'll have more information about this next week. Our special guest episode is very close and on its way. So I'll give you a heads up about that. It's a great episode. I, you know, everybody knows how podcast recording works. I've already recorded the special guest episode. So it's, <laughs> I know the conversation. It was an awesome, awesome conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. That is on its way in just a few short weeks. Yes, indeed. So get excited for those things as we bring the season to a close. And if you, you're probably right in the midst of rehearsing for your particular (laughs) mistletoe month play right about now. So if uh, any of these conversations uh, kind of uh, set you off in a direction and you want to have a conversation with us, you can find us on all the social medias or many of the social medias, not all the social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or X at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. We would love to continue talking about White Christmas or any of the other plays within Mistletoe Month with you. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this conversation or any of the other conversations in this theme month, our other theme months, our broad and huge library of conversations, send somebody our way. Somebody that likes theater, stories, talking about writing, talking about themes and characters, that kind of stuff. Send them our way. I think they'll enjoy the podcast. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all the places you find podcasts. You can also like our Facebook page and a link to the new episode appears every Monday when we publish. Until next week when we're back out of theme month into our normal programming. Thanks for listening to No Script the Podcast. I'm Jackson. I'm not Jackson. I said I'm Jackson. (laughs) That's wild. In 11 seasons. I don't think that's ever happened. In 11 seasons. That's never happened. That's That's crazy. I'm Jacob. (laughs) I'm Jackson. Thanks for listening to No Script the Podcast. (laughs) Thank you.